welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. A couple things before I get started. I, I, I had my sermon over here, and I came to pick it up, and an unnamed person in the front row spilled something all over it. So, this could go anywhere. <laughs> feeling the spirit today. Uh, no, I'm good. I got all kinds of notes that I had on here, but thank you. They're like, we have another copy. Um, so, uh, big news, guys. Uh, the Minnesota Half Marathon was this weekend. We had some people from Awaken running uh, as a part of Team World Vision, and over $110,000 was raised by Team World Vision this weekend. Yeah. Which, which all goes to clean water, in, uh, clean water projects in Africa, which is very cool. There's, a, there's another team of people who will be running the, the full marathon on October 4th. That's a Sunday. I'll be doing that, so I won't be preaching that day. You all can be praying for me. I am very sore today. I, I ran yesterday. That song that's on the little bumper video, we call it, was actually, it's on my running playlist, you know, so if you can imagine, it's this sort of, you know, this song just moseys along, and then there's this big, huge, like, crescendo, you're like, I'm running down ship. <laughs> I was hoping that that would be, I don't even remember what was playing when I got to the finish line, but um, the other thing I would say is, friends, I am excited to, to know, I have on this phone right here a code to redeem my tickets to a one John Mark Nelson CD release show on September the 11th. Yeah, yeah, you should be applauding. This is great. Uh, get your tickets, friends. It's at First Avenue, September 11th, Friday night. Only 12 bucks. I mean, that's a steal of a deal for a great show, right? $12. We paid like 50 to see Need to Breathe, and it wasn't that good. So I think it's going to be way better than that. Um, but uh, uh, please support our good, our good friend, my friend, uh, our friend John, in that I've got the, the early release uh, digital, down, or digital stream, um, so if you would like to hear any of the tunes, I won't let you. <laughs> it's just for me. So uh, it's great. Really, really good. All right, friends, let's do this. Are you ready? Lou, are you ready? Great, great. Uh, Matthew 5, we are in the series uh, on the stained glass in this building, also connected to the Beatitudes. Uh, Last week, we talked about pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We talked about purity and how in the scripture it's always connected to water and the washing of either the hands or the body, and how Jesus unexpectedly, because nothing to date had been talked about the heart in terms of purity, and Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So today, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 5, if you're using the Black Pew Bibles, I think it's like 735 or 785, stand if you will. And we'll begin in verse 3, and we'll read through verse 9, which is this passage we will study, verse 9. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Pray with me. God, as we study this morning and as we look at your word, it's always my prayer that 
you would make it active and alive by inhabiting the words of this, uh, of this writer, Matthew, uh, these pages that we have in our hands, you would, you would inhabit them and make them your own. You would make them come alive and that you would speak. Whatever we need to hear this morning, whatever your church needs to hear this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, God, and ask uh, that you would move us, change us, shake us, uh, love us, encourage us, whatever we need this morning, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So in our window, which is uh, not this one here closest to me, but the one second right there, if you can see it, uh, we have three characters. If you're new to this series, there's three people in each window that's connected to whatever the window is about. This window is about the the blessed are the peacemakers, this beatitude. So on the bottom left is a guy named Sir Thomas More. Uh, he was uh, born in like the 1400s. He later became Saint Thomas More. He was uh, an English guy, a lawyer, philosopher, uh, an author, a statesman, most famously known for the book called... Anyone? Utopia. I heard it. Yes, well done. Utopia. Uh, he, he opposed the Church of England's separation from the one holy Catholic church in Rome. This was sort of the center of his, uh, what eventually led to his death. Um, He wouldn't uh, acknowledge the annulment of King Henry's marriage to uh, to Catherine of Aragon, which got him in trouble. He was asked to swear an oath to to king and country, which he would not. He stayed silent in prison and would not confess, would not share why he was opposed to any of these things. He's sort of a peaceable... uh, um, pushback against government and uh, institution, which eventually got him beheaded. He was sainted by Pope Pius XI, who is actually in the center of our window, uh, as the saint and martyr of, the, of the, the split between the Church of England and the Church of Rome. So that's uh, St. Thomas More. On the bottom right is St. Catherine of Siena. She was born in the 1300s. She was a uh, part of the Dominican order, St. Dominic. If you ever do any reading on saints, St. Dominic is a fascinating guy. I once stayed at uh, Pachaman Terrace, this small little hermitage. It's like a hut, uh, literally, like you go there and you're alone. Silence, solitude. I love that kind of thing. <laughs> I sweat even now thinking about it. But St. Dominic, she was a part of the Dominican order. Uh, she was a philosopher and theologian. She's one of two patron saints of Italy. The other is, for uh, some, some Torah points, St. Francis of Assisi, this, the two patron saints of Italy. She was the daughter of a, uh, an Italian cloth dyer. Her mother, prior to having her and her twin sister, who died in childbirth, had had 22 children. Holy buckets. Uh, she... She received her first vision of Christ when she was six or seven-ish. Uh, evidently, at one point, she cut her hair very short, non-feminine uh, back in that point in time, uh, and would not eat as a sort of um, resistance to being asked to marry her sister's widower. At the age of 16, her sister died. She was asked to marry her widower and would not. She was an unbelievably strong-willed woman, and she is quoted saying, learn to build a cell inside of your mind from which you can never flee. Essentially, learn to build a place in your mind which no one else can come when, when things oppose you or when you need to suffer or go through trials. Uh, she was known to give away clothes and food uh, without her family's knowing, and, and also known for her peaceable abilities or her peacemaking abilities between different factions in the church, which is why she's in our window. The center is Pope Pius XI, uh, born in 1857, the son of an Italian silk factory owner. He was ordained, after, and then he received three doctorates. 
not too shabby. <laughs> Philosophy, canon law, and theology. He was a professor. He specialized in medieval transcripts, and then he became a librarian. Tony, how you doing? Uh, he became a librarian, as we say, a librarian at the Ambrosian Library in Milan until he became the libra- librarian at the... Uh, <laughs> at uh, what are they? the Vatican. That's what they call that thing, the Vatican. And then he became the Pope from there. Uh, he was a mountain climber. Can you believe that? Evidently, not a lot of popes climb mountains. The two, John Paul and this guy, he was an avid mountaineer and mountain climber. And he was the first pope to preside over the Vatican when it became its own city in Rome. So there you go. Uh, his papal motto was, the peace of Christ is the kingdom of Christ, for which he is also in our window. So that's our window. Um, For review, we've been talking about these Beatitudes, and we're taking the approach that the Beatitudes are not Jesus kind of preaching this sermon about how you become a better Christian or nine ways to be a better Christian, you know, and everyone lines up to try to become more meek or more humble or more whatever, but rather that these are phrases and teachings that were an unexpected announcement about the nature of the kingdom of God. It would have been an unexpected announcement about the way in which God presents God's self to the world in and through this Jesus Uh, what the rule and reign of God really actually looks like, which is, of course, a very important and central theme in the scriptures. And Jesus, and I would submit to you no, no more so than in this particular teaching, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God, in some translation, the children of God. So today, what I want to do is talk about three things. Uh, shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. If you've been around Awaken for a while, this is a bit of review So some of it will be reviewed, but then I want to build on that. I want to talk about shalom, expectations, and then invitation. So first, let's tackle shalom. Uh, My friend Steve, pastors of church, they do these things called all plays uh, because they believe that like we're better together. So this is an all play. Um, What do you, what types of things would peace include? When you think about the word shalom or peace, what types of things do you think it would include? Go ahead and shout it out, whatever you think. Say it again. Stillness, okay? What else? Quiet, rest. Say louder. No war. It's hard to hear in the back, so if you're in the back, you've got to holler. Prince of Peace, yes. What else? Serenity. Yeah. Calmness. Sorry. Say louder. Wholeness. There we are. It really is hard to hear. Like Voices just sort of disappear in here. Yeah, so peace, this word... Shalom in Hebrew is an absolutely critical word to understanding the word of God, understanding the story of God in scripture, I would submit. Uh, so I want to say two things about shalom. One author, uh, Tim Keller, says, says it this way, peace or shalom is universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. So for everything that God has made, universal, flourishing, wholeness and delight, that this is shalom, this is peace. So two things about this word peace. One, I want to suggest it is the key to understanding the scriptures. To say it differently, if you don't get peace or you don't get shalom and, and, and what that means biblically, you run the risk of misinterpreting the whole book and what this whole thing is about and what the point of becoming a follower of God or Jesus is. And maybe we have all sorts of examples if we were to share them this morning about people that we think who say, yes, I follow God, and yet maybe stand for something or act in such a way that completely misses the point. Anybody ever been there? 
Or has anybody ever been that person? I think peace and this understanding of shalom is really central to the story of God in Scripture and what it means to follow God, follow Jesus in the world. This is where the story begins in Scripture, and this is where the story ends in Scripture. If you open it in Genesis 1, what we find is shalom, peace, universal flourishing wholeness and delight for all of God's good creation. It's the key to understanding. It's where it begins, and I would suggest in Revelation 21, this is the image that we get. If you don't do Revelation literally, which I suggest you don't because that's not how it was written or intended to be interpreted, if you look at it and you ask, what is Revelation trying to tell us? It's the end of the story, the picture of the future, which the resurrection ensures, and that picture is one of peace, shalom where the lion lays down with the lamb, where there is enough for all, where all of God's good creation is flourishing and whole and in delight again. So it's where it begins, it's where it ends. It's the key to understanding the story. I've told this story before, but my wife and I, Laura, you know, often we have conversations, which is a good thing if you're married. I highly suggest it. And um, we, we have a number of friends named Liz, Liz Hofer, Liz Caswell, uh, Liz Anderson, and there was one particular moment where she was talking, she, and she tells a story about Liz, and I have some, one of the Liz's in my mind, right? I'm interpreting the whole story, Liz Anderson, our friend, and she's talking about Liz Hofer at school. She tells this whole story, and I'm like, what is, why would Liz do that? What kind of, I mean, that's not who Liz is. And she gets to the end of the story, and I, and I realize that I have used the wrong key to interpret the story. So everything that she's told me about Liz is I've now misinterpreted because I'm thinking it's Liz Anderson and it's not. It's somebody else. I want to suggest that peace and shalom in the Bible is a bit like that. And if we don't get that word, that key, then we run the risk of misinterpreting all that God is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah, what was it? 26.3. Thank you. So I, I want to suggest this is the key to really understanding what the scriptures is doing and saying, right? Secondly, I would say this about peace. A Hebrew understanding of peace and shalom as it relates to creation has a certain assumption. And it assumes that creation is not static, but that it's dynamic. Has anybody ever climbed before, like rock climb, any rock climbers in the, in the room, right? Ropes, the, the, the ropes that you climb on, they're dynamic, right? They're not static. So when you fall, there's a little bit of give. There's a little bit of stretch, which is a good thing because when you fall, that hurts. So you want it to give a little bit. It, it has movement. It has, it's, not, it's not static. I want to say that the Hebrew understanding of peace and shalom has an assumption, and that assumption is that creation, the world that we live in, is not a done deal. It's not something that God did and then walks away, break the wrist, walk away. No, creation is actually ongoing. It's moving, it's active, it's living, breathing. There's an energy and a pulse to what God has made. And actually, in the beginning, when Adam and Eve are made, they're invited to kabash and, and uh, rada and kabash, these two Hebrew words of, of like subdue and rule or steward and create, tend to that which God has made. This is the invitation that God gives humanity in the beginning. So steward, create, tend to, work with, participate in creation. It's not a static thing. It's actually unfolding. It's moving. It's breathing. It has a life of its own, as it were. 
that God has endowed it with. And you and I, as people in the world, are now tasked and invited to participate, to steward, to help care for it. This was the original invitation of God to humanity, and and I would say it's the invitation. And now, in light of Genesis chapter 3 and what happens in the Bible afterwards, we find that if if that's where it's headed, then you and I, as people who follow God, are still invited into this process of participating, stewarding, tending, caring for that which God has made. So peace and shalom, universal wholeness, flourishing, and delight. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called the children of God, we have to understand that first. And it's this understanding of peace, shalom. It's active. It's, it's, it's something that we've been invited into as people who live here. Peace is not just the absence of war. It's not just quiet or serenity. It certainly may include those things, but I think when we think of peace, it's like, well, nobody's at war. Nobody's killing each other. It's more than that. It's flourishing. It's wholeness. It's delight. It's, yes, the absence of conflict and war and death, but it's flourishing. It's us and creation doing what God intended it to do. So first, peace. Jesus said, blessed are those who make peace, for they will be called the children of God. Second, expectation. Another way of saying this or talking about this is the form of a question. Why does Jesus have to tell them, the audience of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God? Why does he have to say that? By the time Jesus shows up at the turn of time, right, B.C., A.D., in, in Palestine, you have to understand that there, there's this group of people called Israel, the Jewish, uh, the, 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 Israel, uh, the Hebrew nation, and these people are the people of God. And within this group of people, there is an expectation present, deeply rooted and running just under the surface of everything that's being talked about in the scriptures, whether it be political or religious or social. And the expectation is that God would one day return to Israel. That God would one day do what God promised to do. These people were waiting for rescue, for restoration, for reconciliation, for God to return to Zion and to restore Israel and essentially kick out the Romans who were occupying the land at that point. Right? We find in Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, uh, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We quote this at, at Christmas every year. This is a messianic promise in Isaiah. Chapter 11 goes on and says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. A branch, a roots, uh, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, right? So there's this expectation that God would return to Israel in and through this particular person that they called Messiah. The anointed one, the promised one. So all these people in Israel that Jesus, imagine, if you will, this mountainside, all these people gathered. Jesus is sitting there teaching as a Jewish teacher. What's present in the minds of these people expectation that God will do what God promised to do. Now the question is, the million dollar question is, what did that look like? How would God do what God promised to do? Practically it was deliverance and liberation from oppression and exile, from Rome particularly, and spiritually it was the year of the Lord's favor, jubilee, this restoration of Israel. How did they anticipate it? That's the question. Uh, if you read it all, uh, theology, N.T. Wright has been unbelievably uh, helpful on this. 
But uh, I, would, I would suggest that there are categories of people in this crowd that's sitting there that you could sort of break down into four broad categories. Certainly there were others in different versions of it, but broadly speaking, four different expectations that were present in this audience. One, the Pharisees. We know these people, right? These are the people always questioning Jesus, trying to trap him. These are the people who uh, are trying to stone the woman in adultery. These are the people who are asking Jesus, why are you picking grain on the Sabbath? And for them... The reason why God had not come back, had not returned the people from exile, had not defeated evil, had not returned to Zion, the reason that hadn't happened yet was because of all the sin. So their deal was piety and holiness for the Pharisees. Uh, They they certainly would, they, they had these certain people in society, the sinners and the pagans, and they would sort of scapegoat them, whether they were tax collectors or people caught in adultery or whatnot. And the reason God hadn't returned yet was because of these people. If we would just adhere to the law and be more holy and pious, God would do what God said he would do, right? So this is the first group of people, the Pharisees. The second was the Sadducees. They were very sad, you see. <laughs> Junior high joke, right? Hey-o. Uh, the, their answer was compromise. So for them, they sort of, uh, another word for these folks were the Herodians. They got in bed with Rome, literally and figuratively. They married into sort of Roman power. So Herod the Great was actually one of these people. Uh, they, they sort of said, if you can't beat them, join them and at least make a profit with them or, or on them. Um, and and they're, uh, they're, they sort of waited for, wait until the Messiah comes. Just sit and wait, bide your time, wait and wait it out. And while you wait, do business with the people around you. Uh, these people didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the afterlife, as it were. So you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes. And their reason or their, their response to Jesus, God not coming back yet was to separate. Right? This was the original uh, inspiration for the offspring song, Keep Them Separated. So they essentially say, all this stuff that's happening here, it's no good, it's sinful, and so we separate ourselves and we live in cloisters outside of the city. Actually, the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran, if you know that story, the scrolls that were found, they were Essenes. They were living way outside in the country, separated from Israel, and they basically said, like, be faithful to true and real Israel, and then God will return. God will defeat evil, he will return us from exile, he will return to Zion, that's the answer. And the last group of people were the zealots. And their version of, of their response was activism, right? These were the religious activists, and thankfully we don't have any of them around today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They said, take back the land for God. If it, if it means pick up the sword, then do it. Whatever means necessary, do it. In fact, the Maccabean mother in one of these windows, were, she was the mother of a group of zealots who revolted against Rome and died at the hand of Antiochus Epiphanes. So this group of people said, the reason God isn't coming back yet Well, we're not really sure, but in the meantime, we're going to pick up a sword and do something about it, and God will join us. This kind of uh, belief and and, uh, idea sort of, this is what motivates things like the Crusades, right? Religious activism. So, you had all these expectations on this hillside of people, and they're all asking, why hasn't God returned? Why hasn't God done what God promised to do from Isaiah and the Psalms and these prophecies about the Messiah coming back to Israel? And one more key to this, which I think locks in our our beatitude, for they will be called the sons of God. Sons of God or or children of God in, in in Scripture is code word for Israel. So in the Psalms, when you read the sons of God, what it's saying is Israel, this people that God has called. 
Now, all of these groups of people thought that their version of what it means to be the sons or the children of God was right. I mean, we all do this, right? We have a perspective, and if we don't think it's the right one, we go find another one. All these people think the reason why God isn't coming back is because of dot, dot, dot. Whether it's separate, you know, we separate ourselves, or we pick up the sword, or it's because of holiness and sin, or whatever. And Jesus says, stands on this hillside and says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the ones who make shalom, for they will be true Israel. They will be the sons and daughters of God. They are the sons and daughters of God. So what is a peacemaker? If shalom is about what I've suggested it's about, then a peacemaker is somebody whose view is bigger than their own agenda. A peacemaker is somebody who recognizes that flourishing and wholeness and delight isn't just for their camp of people. But in actual fact, it's for the whole world. It's for any and all who will trust this way of being human and following this Jesus. The good news about Jesus is for everyone, not just your privileged cloister version of God, God's people, or not just for American white people, or not just for... It's for all. It's for everyone. Peacemakers are those who are about reconciliation and the repair of God's good world. Even the Romans or even whatever other group we have in our minds. Peacemakers are those who work towards forgiveness and reconciliation, even with their enemies. Peacemakers are those who sacrifice their own agenda for the betterment of others. It's those who recognize that all of this is a gift and none of it is entitled to me. Peacemakers are those who are true Israel. And by true Israel, I mean true truly God's people in the world. It's those who are working their way down the ladder, not standing on people's heads to get up the ladder. While God did promise a return from exile and defeat of evil and return to Zion, that's the promise God made, and while he did that, it might not look like what you expected it to look like. That's the unexpected announcement of Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Because friends, we all know that the people who make peace get killed. The people who stand for justice and righteousness and peace in a violent world usually end up dead. And anybody sitting on that hillside who's waiting for God to return, waiting for God to do something, would have expected God to do so in some way, shape, or form. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who make peace... Blessed are those who are about these things. We all think to ourselves, we all know that's not how it wins. Those people don't win. They die. They get squashed. And that is the upside-down, unbelievable, paradoxical nature of the love and kingdom of God. That it's the least expected way that actually provides a way through that gets us back to where we started. So Jesus says, blessed are those who are about shalom, who are about forgiveness, who are about reconciliation, who are about righteousness, who are about serving others and getting down on your knees instead of standing up on somebody else. Blessed are those, for they will be called the people of God. I want to end with a couple of invitations, questions.
The first is, what do you expect God to do? I think it's important, maybe exercise, spiritual exercise, to just stop and say, okay, if all these people in this story who Jesus would have been talking to had certain expectations about the way in which God would move, and maybe they were misguided at times, is it possible that any of our expectations of God are misguided? That we think God will do And I would say maybe this morning the invitation is to consider or, or place that under who is Jesus and what do we know about God because of Jesus? What do you expect God to do? What do you expect God to be? What do you expect God to look like in the world? A second question is, if peace were to come to you today, what would, you, what would it look like? If peace is about healing and forgiveness and reconciliation and wholeness, things that are broken being put back together, if peace were to come to you today, what would you need? Oftentimes people would come to Jesus and his questions to them are so profound. What do you want me to do for you? Right, like the ability to name our need is something that I think is very scary at times. Because then it's real. Then you're vulnerable. Then somebody else has to help because you haven't been able to figure it out yet. And so we back away slowly from our need or our appearance of having need. So if peace were to come to you today, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, according to Scripture, and has come, and is coming, and is, does come. What does it look like for you today if peace shows up? And then lastly, is there an invitation for you to move towards peace? To being a person who's a peacemaker, who's about reconciliation and and justice, and hope, and forgiveness, and healing, and serving. Is there an invitation for you? Is there any way in which you're moving away from that, or just off that target? And what does that look like? I trust that God speaks and is active when we gather, and so... uh, We want to take a few moments here. I'm going to invite the band to come and they'll lead us as we continue to meditate on this. But we're going to have a time of silence. uh, And I want to invite you to consider maybe one of these questions, maybe a couple of them, whatever sort of sticks out for you or has grabbed your heart. So what do you expect God to do or be? If peace came to you today, what would you need? And is there an invitation for you to move towards peace? I hope that God's voice, the still small voice that found Elijah in the cave would be the one that is the loudest today. So I'm going to offer a word of prayer, a time of silence, and then John will lead us. Uh, If you'd like to respond in some way, um, you're welcome to come and write those things on the wall. Uh, We're kind of creating a mural, as it were, at the end of this series. Uh, And I guess maybe if you're interested or if if you'd like to during this time of silence, there are kneelers in this building in the backs of the pews. If you're in the chairs, sorry, except for these ones up here. Uh, But if you'd like to kneel, you're welcome to do that. So let me offer a word of prayer, time of silence, and then response. 
God, um, often when Jesus spoke, his words were uh, very straightforward and cut to the heart of what needed to be said and heard. And they did that then, 2,000 years ago, and I pray, God, that in this, these moments that we have together, that they would do the same, that your words to us, your whispers, your nudges to us today would cut right to the heart of what we need. God, if there is some way in which we need peace to come to us today, some anxiety that we're carrying that we need stilled and quieted, some brokenness that we need healed and put back together, some forgiveness that we need to be a part of, would you just impress that on our hearts? God, if there's some invitation that you're giving us to, to do something different or act differently in the world, would you help us to hear that? So Holy Spirit, we submit our hearts to you in these next few moments of silence. We pray that you would speak. Friends, would you stand as we close? A benediction is a blessing. And uh, we wanted to start inviting other voices to do that and bless us because um, it's something that we give and receive each other. Blessing. So Sydney's going to do that this morning. Um, if you have any need for prayer, uh, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. Um, so please uh, join them over there after the gathering. So, Sid. May the peace of God guard your heart. May the hope of God lift your head. May the dreams of God live in us, and may the love of God send us out. Amen. Grace and peace. See ya. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter. Play with the community. See you next time.